episode six of In at the Deep End with me, Gary Bridgman. Um, in this episode, I'm talking to James Roberts, and James is a Paralympian um, and has done several sports throughout his uh, uh, his athletic career, and, and is now um, a coach. Uh, James, um, well, what I really sort of took from this interview with James was just his ability to. Um, not blame his circumstances um, uh, for uh, his his failures or his setbacks in life, um, and we're not talking about his disability here. We're talking about just his constant drive to um, perform at the highest level, uh, to uh, transfer himself into the next sport when um, he's uh, when he felt that it was time to to move sports and change sports and then master that sport as well. Um, throughout his career, he's been a, a swimmer. He's played um, rugby, wheelchair rugby. He's been a rower, uh, and he's also been a, um, a basketball player. And basketball is what he does uh, currently. But apart from that, James has also suffered with body image and self worth problems. He's also suffered with anxiety, um, and he uh, talks openly about these experiences in the podcast and we have a wide-ranging discussion based uh, on what it takes to be a high-performing athlete, uh, the mindset that you have to have, how that mindset can help you uh, achieve your goals and how also it can be a hindrance as well. I hope you really enjoyed the podcast. Um, if you've got any feedback for me, then please do send it in. Uh, thank you very much to take the time to listen uh, and I'll just hand you over to James. So there we go. So uh, hi, James. How are you doing? I'm very well, Gary. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm just enjoying the sun. And you just, just before we start recording, you was talking about enjoying the weather uh, over in Wales. Um, well, in North Wales. I think that's long gone. It's overcast today as we record. Yeah. Now I was in Ireland for, uh, for Easter um, and we had, they have this, this phrase in Ireland called splitting rocks. Um, and it was like 18, 20 degrees some days, which is really uh, unheard of um, for uh, Irish weather, um, especially at this time of year, um, especially on the West Coast as well. And it was um, it was really nice. So we were just out all the time, out, um, outside um, on the farm. So that was a, a nice, um, nice Easter break just to have that weather. But I suppose that's one of the problems of climate change, isn't it, that? Well, I think that, well, it depends. Is it getting yeah. is it getting hotter? Is it getting colder? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think uh, uh, it's getting hotter, getting colder. It's all changing, isn't it? That's the that's the big thing. So anyway, let's let's just have a talk about you and and your life. So um, you uh, graciously invited me on one of your podcasts at Christmas time, um, which I listened to uh, the other day and realised that um, Christmas was not a good time for me. <laughs> I kind of listened back to it. I was going, wow, God, I talk some crap on that podcast um but i suppose you just bring yourself uh, where you are right now but so tell, tell us a little bit about you and your and your background and um you know where you are now in life and how did you get there uh well gary i grew up as we discussed on my show on on off air i grew up um as a dependent of two parents that were in the armed forces mm -hmm. uh, and resided in belgium uh, for about 19 years because my mother working for NATO. Uh, so I think that was probably instilled a lot of the values that I hold dear, be it from a, both a sporting perspective, a lifestyle perspective towards health, because it was 
my norm. I saw it day in, day out. It's part and parcel of, well, what the armed forces stood for in the past because they had to be ready to go any minute. Whereas maybe in the modern day military, maybe not so much because they can stand behind the screen and they can go on the offensive with a touch of a button. So So I think that's probably instilled to some degree the work ethic uh, the mindset to be driven to towards that elite into performance to where I got to. But I think it was the dedication probably to set an obsession with sport at a young age mm-hmm. that is like, well, I have this idea and dream to be a sports person, but did I ever think it would become a reality and come into fruition? Probably not, because I think when I was an early teen and having a disability, thinking, well, you wanted to be a footballer or play basketball, well, that's not re- that's not reality with a disability. But I think once I was approached by, I think I see it as a little bit out of the blue, but maybe it would be an apparition or it was fate that, the coach said, well, why don't you try disability sport? And the kind of the rest was history. But at the time, I was taken aback by the comments. Like, well, why would I want to do that when I can compete in, within reason with uh, my bodied peers? Uh, so, yeah, just just thinking about that. that, that um, what, what was it about that, that then that, that sort of, took you back? Were you shocked that he was, he was suggesting it? Um, did you just think it wasn't you? Did you know, what was it that, that made you think that way at that point? I think it's a multitude of things because we're talking about almost 20 years ago, hmm. the perception towards disability in general and probably Paralympic sport in the UK is not what it is today. So I probably had that learned trait. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, I'm in able-bodied sport. I have a minimal disability as it is. I'm able to still c- to compete. Why would I want to, in a sense, oh, it's not a nice thing to say, but it is the truth, lower myself to a certain extent to something that is, at the time, okay, the word Paralympics is supposed to be parallel to the Olympics, but back then it wasn't seen as that. It, be it from a media perspective, uh, people's perceptions. I think it comes down to maybe the fact that um, people weren't knowledgeable of it and it wasn't talked about as much. I'm not saying it, it's probably a lot better than it was if you talk to somebody from... 20 to 30 years prior to that, the situation would have probably been a little bit a little bit worse. So I, I think from that perspective, maybe not a full acceptance of myself at the time because I was probably trying to find myself as well as a teenager because I think you ask a great question because at the time I had very much... Uh, a little bit of a conscious effort trying to overcome a body a body um, image issue at the time because I would be very much hide behind 
jeans, long long clothing, mm-hmm. to kind of hide the disability in a, in a way. But on the flip side, if I was in a sporting arena, I couldn't care less. So I think I was still fighting that in a dilemma that I was having and I was probably pushing it out into the wider world and that was probably why I had that kind of ideological think of behind it. Yeah, that's interesting. So do you think that came from like the societal um, sort of pressures and, and the images around disability and the, the society, like you said, it's changed in the 20 years that since that moment you've seen that change um, yourself. Um, and what do you think it was? Do you think it was that societal thing or do you think it was just something uh, in you that you were still coming to terms with having a disability? I I think I won't, I won't pass the book and say it's a societal thing. I think maybe for some other people that might be the case, but for me, more specifically, it's probably me portraying that and using that maybe as a certain excuse. And it was me trying to deal with my own demon, so to speak, because, well, I've always been very adaptable to, to, to my environment. So coming up with a, a solution to a problem, I, I never, I never thought that was, that was maybe the difficult one. And it's just very much a stumbling block because everybody's going to have that issue with body image at some time in their life. And it's an internal one. You've got to have an, an internal dialogue that you've got to have with yourself to overcome that. So I think, once I got over that hurdle of saying, well, you're being a little bit ridiculous here. If you could, on the one hand, wear shorts and be comfortable in one arena, why can't you do it in all facets of your life? And I was about 17 when I realised that, thinking you're only, from a extent of we talking about the weather, mm-hmm. well, you're only hurting yourself, making yourself sweat, overheat. That comes down to you. Nobody dictates... Uh, if you wear what, what type of clothing that you wear day in, day out, be in the school that you're in, because, well, I'm fortunate, well, the same in, in European countries outside of the UK, you wear your own clothes. So so if I was in, in a British school, that wouldn't be the case, but how where I grew up, I dictated what I wore day in, day out. So So once I got over that, initial you could call it some sort of dilemma I thought nah I'll do what I want if somebody's got a problem with it that's their problem yeah so I mean that sounds like a key moment in your life as well they're just coming to that acceptance part of that body image acceptance part and like you say we we all we all suffer with that whether you're able-bodied or or disabled don't you I think everybody has a a body image um, problem and I know I mean I um, I might put it in here there's a there's a picture of me as fat dad when my daughter used to call me when I was maybe in my 30s I was like uh, 95 98 kilos um so so quite heavy um uh, but that was kind of like my my kind of lowest point in in my life uh, with my mental health so that that um you know always suffer with that kind of body image as well sort of looking in the mirror and stuff like that um and how do you, I mean, I like the way that you described it there, that you had this, um, this discussion with yourself and you told yourself it's a little bit ridiculous as well. Um, is that also how you sort of handle um, your internal critical voice, the things that 
you know, when you're, when you're up against the challenges, because I find it interesting for, for sports people because you, you compete at a really high level um, and your drive to get to there is, you know, far surpasses other people's um, uh, motivations and drives. It's kind of like a single focus that, that you have. And you see that in a, in a lot of professional sports people, don't you? This, this kind of really single focus drives. So how do you, um, how do you sort of handle that in your brain? Well, where do you go to in your brain when you're coming over, coming your, your challenges? I think that's a great question, Gary. I think it, de- it depends. I think oh, you, 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 was a poignant one because I think with mental health and I when we did, we discussed that at Christmas I was dealing with it while going through it as well mm-hmm. and I was probably slowly but surely getting back to this mindset that you're talking about because well through well, I won't say no fault of my own it was to say that I'd gone away from what you talk about with dedication towards a single purpose so you're driven to do a lot of things from a mindset perspective uh, subconsciously and unconsciously not even making an effort to do it because it's kind of to a certain extent pre-programmed over years and years of repetition so anything to do with an actual skill set it's automatic so you can take on board another skill from a mental capacity and then be able to do that so I think uh, I think at the height of my prowess, I think I could do like free, free tasks mentally and not really think about it and just do it automatically. But because I deviated from that over a course of time, to be able to question things, I wasn't able to do. But I think it comes down to the simple fact of because you're so engrossed in not necessarily your own misery, but your own problems at that particular moment, you probably um, blow things out of proportion, um, kind of exacerbate certain traits and think of it, oh, well, I'm the, I'm the victim here. It's only me suffering with whatever it might be. So it, it's got to be 10 times worse than it actually is. But I think gradually, as I started to question that, but okay, I wasn't able to do, as we talked about, do it from a, a personal perspective as to just me question my own thoughts. I had to go back, not a sense to the drawing board, but back to the beginning and read a lot of bo- uh, books around self-help, have coaches on board, get the confidence to reinvest in myself and say, well, how do I get better? Well, I need to have people in my corner to, well, on the one hand, do it from a sporting perspective, give you that hug, give you that support when you need it. But when you don't do things right, give you a kick up the ass. So, (laughs) (laughs) and kind of question you and say, come on, James, you're not giving everything you're capable of here today or this week. What's the actual problem or are you, are you, what are you fearful of? Are you procrastinating? What What are you actually looking to achieve? And are you trying to ascertain perfection uh, and trying to people please mm. and using that excuse to not get things out? So I think that very much uh, vindicated me along the way. 
and you talk to people that I've probably spoken to me, be it from a podcast perspective, business perspective, or have got to know me from a, a relationship perspective, I'm night and day as a person from when you spoke to me last at Christmas mm-hmm. to what we now almost May. Yeah. Yeah. Complete, well, I think we change, we're constantly evolving, aren't we? So we change um, all the time and, and the person you were like yesterday is not the person you are today. There's this constant sort of trying to um, uh, evolve yourself. I mean, I, I find that in myself, there's this constant need to try and, and, and do things better and, and keep getting better. And what's the next thing? Um, where am I going to go to next? But let's talk about your um, Paralympic career. Um, so you, let's just go back to that choice point again. So you then sort of took that choice point to go down this, this other path. I mean, how did, what was that? What did you start doing? What was the first sport you went into? Uh, well, it was still, still would have been swimming. I just made the, well, not necessarily a crossover, but if we go from finished my able-bodied season in it's about February, March time of God, when would it have been? 2000 and three I think it was but if we go back a little bit it was probably what springboarded my actual career from a sporting sense was the Manchester 2002 Commonwealth Games because we went to the swimming uh, I think a couple sessions and it was I think something my grandmother said to my mother it's not necessarily I didn't hear it so it's only hearsay I think my mum says it as don't come back home unless you've spoken to a coach of the Welsh setup. And obviously when the session finished, mum shouted over the barrier. And this coach used this like as an afternoon speech <laughs> to say how I kind of got into the sport. And he, he had a discussion, well, how does he get into to be able to get to these heights? And what the coach kind of said in no uncertain terms is, uh, because I started so late in life in swimming, it's going to be very, very difficult. But so that kind of gave me an issue, uh, chip on my shoulder. Okay, I'm going to prove you wrong. And in the space of probably 12 to 18 months, I've got to that level. Okay, I'm not saying it was easy, but I obviously had the talent, the nows, um, the obsessional drive to want to get there because that was the passion I wanted to achieve. I wanted to represent my country in some capacity or form. Hmm. What was that, um, that, that kind of drive and motivation that you had, you, you had back then? I mean, do you still have that drive and motivation now? Has it changed as your life has developed? I say it's probably, I won't say necessarily changed. I say maybe like you say, that I've adapted to, certain facets of my life I'm still very competitive person maybe not to those extents but to to do what some people call it, would call it lunacy to 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 want to even uh put your bodies in those circum in those certain circumstances I do to a certain extent now because with the wheelchair basketball at a, a club level where I live in North Wales, very much a regional approach. So it's pretty much as close at club level as you're going to get for, for representing your country because you're representing your area of the country. So that there is a utmost 
pride to wear that jersey. So you, you don't want to necessarily uh, let the team down because you're representing where you live. Whereas for, maybe for most sporting teams, you're playing for for a town and it might not necessarily be where you're from. So that the actual um, pride and passion aspect of it maybe go out the window. It's your compulsive edge to compete that's pushing you forward. For us, I think it's ever-encompassing. It's it's very much a two-tiered approach. So you've got that pride that you... you um, one, it's... Was it only one of three Welsh teams? So there's going to be that pride aspect of you're already on a hiding enough to a certain extent within. Okay, it's a British league, but it's predominantly English teams. So you do want to kind of uh, punch above your weight to a certain extent to to kind of say, well, we do belong as well. But I think that comes down to that competitive edge, training a very um, tough. Um, but that's a willingness from a personal perspective to want to evolve, adapt, uh, push forward and actually push to, to your certain extent and want to become better every day. To, but that doesn't, that necessarily could be an extrinsic motivator. You want to do it for an outside uh, reward or grat- instant gratification. But I think for me, I still do sport because it's an in, it's a, my inner drive to want to do it outweighs the the actual external ones. Mm-hmm. The um, so when you started your career um, as a swimmer, um, you first started, and you've done you take you've done a lot of different sports there. But why was swimming the the choice at the beginning? What was it about swimming that? Um, well, it was a family choice really because I think my my mum saw it as kind of an equaliser compared to any of the other um, non-aquatic sports because you're at, you're at, I'm at a lesser disadvantage uh, against my um, able-bodied peers because it's, it's still technique, uh, balance um, and the actual impairment itself mm-hmm. is a little bit limited. Uh, not limited, um, not as forthcoming. Okay, the start is to a certain extent because being able to use both legs to propel, yeah. you're, at a, you're at a slight advantage. But I think utilising and talking to coaches early on in my career, well, what, can, what discipline within swimming could I utilise my actual strengths and fortes of the disability. So I started swimming butterfly at that time and within that league, probably earlier than the norm, but it was probably looking at using a strength as opposed to weakness. Okay, let's use a stroke that he's going to be at a strength because of the upper body um, prowess that I have. I'm slightly, don't look as big as I would, did back then, but that's probably the, the the adaptation and knowledge is growing within within fitness as I've got older. So I've probably become more. People like to coin the term lean and tone. Yeah. I, I probably slim down slightly because I've got better with the knowledge of uh, uh, both through education and implementing self practice. 
I'm probably stronger now than I was back then, but it doesn't, it doesn't look like, so I kind of built like a brick shit house, but the muscle wasn't that the muscle wasn't actually from a sporting sense functional. I probably could have got away with it if I was probably older and being a bodybuilder because it's quite big. Whereas now through probably implementation of better training, better nutrition regimen and things like that, I'm slimmed down and I'm probably from a sports perspective, more robust. Okay. Injuries have caught up with me at time to time, but that's, that's part and parcel of sport and that's part and parcel of getting older. So it comes with the territory. So I think from that perspective, it was utilizing all the strengths that I had to be able to benefit me. Okay. The event I went in, from a from a Paralympic perspective, it was breaststroke. So that kind of the opposite, more predominantly uh, legs, but because of classification, you are to some extent putting with similar people, sim- similar nature disabilities. You have both leg amputees and arm amputees. So my argument with there was like, well, they're at an advantage, but in fairness to the classifiers. They do it as well back then when I was still swimming, so we're still talking about 15 years ago. They were doing it voluntarily, so whether or not that has changed, so they would take on board any criticism, um, any information, or so we don't want to use research that you were able to find to be able to dispel these myths that okay, one is at an advantage compared to the other. Well, as an athlete yourself, you know it's fact because it's like, well, all swimmers know you, you pro- mostly propulsion or your actual lift is going to come from your legs. Mm-hmm. So to be put in a classification where you're having to compete with uh, somebody else who's got that advantage, they're obviously going to be faster. So I think it depends on what the severity of, of the impairment was. And I'm not making any excuses or any... Uh, um, queries as to why maybe I didn't excel as much at swimming as maybe some of the other ones we're going to talk about later but that is maybe something to look at in the future to be able to help maybe other athletes say because because I did I did probably through university studies look at those those differences between um, single single amputees versus uh, well I looked at more specifically able-bodied, but to see what, what the difference is, the actual power. Okay, it wasn't within swimming, but it was in cycling. It wasn't significant, but if you probably magnified the, the actual uh, research project over a greater number of people, I probably would have found, I probably possibly might have found one. Mm-hmm. And so with the, when you're um, in that environment, so I'm just interested to understand how you... Um, I mean, because the competition aspects of it, because I'm a competitive person, but not to the extent that, that uh, you know, I can drive myself to go and uh, win and, uh, and do sports and things like that. It takes me a lot for me to get to, to, to go and work out. Um, but you kind of put your body through that, that pain limit um, all the time, don't you, when you're, when you're um, training back there in, in professional sports. I mean, I just, um, I mean, I watched the, the man you Man City game last night, and they've just come off. Um, uh, you know, they they were playing a few few days before as well. So you're constantly 
stretching yourself and challenging your body and putting it into that state all the time. And what's, what's that like for for your body? I mean, what do you have to, to go through uh, just to, to compete for that one race that you're going to compete? I mean, the amount of um, time and, 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 um, I think it comes down to, Gary, yeah, I think that's a good question to you ask. I think it comes down to the definition of success. We, we probably are athletes, and this is more specifically when I've looked at it more recently, actually analyzed it and reflected back and took a step back. It's when people where athletes go wrong. They don't endure, they endure the process, yeah. they enjoy it. And what I mean by that is not necessarily endure it you know the hardship of having to do the train day in day out i'm not necessarily saying it from a bad perspective what i mean it from they don't actually give themselves a, a chance to gratify themselves and give a pat on the back for actually doing that day in day out and and um what's the word i want to use uh give themselves praise for actually achieving those small wins. We look at it as the bigger picture, mm-hmm. be it, you talked about the Man, the Man U derby. Yeah. Okay, that's a, that's a massive one. Win that, you get the, you get the, the, the fans, more so it's more of, of the accolade on that one. Whereas for the players themselves, okay, if they were local to... to, to Greater Manchester, the North where there would be that one. Oh, I've got one over on on the other city rival, but the magnification as well. Neither will ever see it as just a match because that will never go down with the fans. <laughs> Whereas I think maybe internally, I think that's that's the mentality to look at it. It's just another three points, yeah. but the magnification that it held for Manchester City and probably Liverpool is obviously the title in a couple of weeks' time. So mm. it's more looking towards that end goal and then the process will take care of itself. So it's not magnific- uh, It's not actually giving yourself a chance to give yourself self-gratification for the small ones. I'm saying that's maybe more specifically for me than actually imposing my beliefs on other people it might be the same thing if an athlete had to take a step back and say you just take the due course well I have to do all the small steps in between to get to B mm-hmm. if I don't do these I, I don't I don't I don't I put myself in a better position to get to to point B I'm not necessarily gonna get there but those sorts are probably not gonna uh, ever arise or arisen within your mouth. But there's going to be a little bit of self-doubt, but you kind of dispel it because it's like, well, it's not doing me any good. So why why does that thought ever enter my head? So I think you kind of go, well, what's there? Is it productive? No. And yeah. kind of and kind of get rid of it. Yeah, I, well, that's a good, really good way of doing it. Is to, and I think a lot of people struggle with that that point where you know a thought comes in your head and and. You know, we have no idea where thoughts come from. They just arrive. Um, and so often we can layer it, can't we? We can put loads of stuff on top of it. You know, that self-doubt comes in. It's like, oh, I might not win. And, but you can just see it as that, just that one thought and let it go rather than it sort of you putting loads of layers and layers and layers and layers on top of it and it becoming something that, that does drag you, drag you down. I'm a great 
believer in that, you know, you're seeing your reality through your thoughts. It's your, it's your thoughts that color your reality. And it's not about changing them or, or challenging them with positive thoughts. It's just noticing that, oh, it's my thinking that's causing me to, to feel this way. Um, so if I'm going to have this self-doubt and it gets magnified, then I'm going to have more self-doubt as well. So what were your um, kind of biggest low points then in your, in your career? What are the times where, you, you, where that self-doubt did kind of magnify a little bit more than, than you'd like? I'd, I'd say there's, there's probably a few, and, and most athletes don't, talk, don't like to talk about their low points, or they never get actually brought up. But yeah. I think the ones that spring to mind would obviously be around injury because – it is gen- generally when it does come up, those will be the dark times athletes talk about because you don't know the period of time that you might be out because it's all um, anecdotal and kind of very much um, on a timeline. It depends on from the doctor or physio perspective as how, how long you will be actually out for within a particular injury and depending on the severity of it, it's going to be a darker, dark, can be a darker place because you've been taken in a sense out of what is your norm. Uh, and if that's ever, if that's what you've ever known, it's kind of takes away your identity. For me, more specifically, it never got to that extent, but it would be um, along the lines of. Uh, in the run-up to 2012, I've had very much those feelings of self-doubt. You're thinking, oh, it, when would it have been? It'd be about, about, about this time of year. So we were only about three to four months out from the games and I couldn't get over an injury. It'd be, I think I just got over it, go back training, bang, re-aggravate it. So be out for a little bit longer. And I think, I think well, I need to take longer out and get this sorted. So I think in the space of, I think I was out for about two weeks for an extended period, but it'd been going for about a month, month and a half of this injury. So I think I need to get it sorted because at the back of my mind, well, if I don't get it sorted, I'm going to get dropped and not make the games. And I think in hindsight, okay, I maybe should have communicated this with the coaching staff and said, well, this is a problem I'm having. Is this going to have an overbearing factor on the overall outcome of selection? Okay. Maybe it would have. I don't, probably not, but because the chat we had after the games, it being, oh, I've made my selection choice a year, a year out from the games. It's like, oh, cheers. It's not, not, uh, not to kind of stew in your own juices for that long period, but I know why from a, a competitive outcome that they do it because it's trying to get the best out of the individuals. So if you keep people on a knife or uh, tender, tender hooks, you, for some it's going to work. For some it's <laughs> probably the performance himself we might regress a little bit as well. So I think it's, it, it, it gives that sense of, competitive and everybody's going to try and get that one ounce left of themselves to be able to get to what in a sense is the pinnacle of sport within Paralympics so so you, you don't necessarily get the opportunity 
that often. So people are going to fight, claw the way to be able to get it. And, and, and in a sense, that notion of blood, sweat and tears is part and parcel of it. If I want to get to where I need to, that's going to have to be um, uh, one facet of my mind. The, um, you find that then that happens quite a lot then that um, the, the athletes have that kind of battle with injury where they, they know that they, they're probably covering it up um, you know the severity of it sometimes or not um, having that honest conversation with the severity of, of the injury because they, there's this kind of it's a little bit like accepting reality like I was talking about at the beginning. It's like sometimes it's, okay, well, I just ignore it and, and carry it for a while. Then Because I, I think most athletes are carrying, you know, you're not just carrying um, one injury. I mean, I think we have this idea that, oh, they're super fit, but normally you're carrying quite a lot of injuries into an event, aren't you? And it's not just one thing. You've got a lot of things going on at the same time. Well, I think it's that character, characteristic uh, and, and society to some extent is at fault. But I think the individuals that partake in sport, you have that illusion that you're superhuman. You're kind yeah. of above uh, to have got it. Okay, I, I've had that drive where other people may not have had it. Oh, so I must be different. So that's, in a sense, I, my body must be to a certain extent indestructible. Yeah. Which is impossible. So I think it would, with no, and that's the illusion you're trying to just to dispel. I think as as people when you retire and think when we were no different than than you. It's just we had a maybe more of a drive, a dedication, uh, a passion, and probably an obsession towards what we wanted to achieve than you than you perceive saw for yourself. So it's only because I had that willingness to probably. Uh, well, we'll say push myself one percent more than you did mm-hmm. as to why I got further down 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 the road. So, and it, and it's that mentality of doing that day in day out. Obviously, that disparity is going to become bigger and bigger. So, that notion that we are indestructible. I think the Paralympic one to a lesser degree because depending on the sport. They don't have that luxury of the of, a, of an athlete being out injured for a long period of time. Whereas with the Olympic guys, uh, and I'll talk about the as Ryan for the example because it's easier. They could toss somebody aside and bring somebody in. Whereas with the Paralympics, they don't have that luxury. So it's very much a dialogue with the coach of something is going. Mm-hmm. So you you kind of look at tweaking the training session accordingly so you don't get a breaking point so it's more of a dialogue whereas I think my first training session at the National Training Base in uh, Caversham which is in the Reading area uh, just outside of London I had this burning sensation in, in my shoulder I thought nothing of it I thought oh it's part and parcel of training Went to try and get off. The, once I'd finished the training session, went to try and get off the floor. Couldn't move. Yeah. I'd uh, torn a bit of my rotator cuff. But I thought it was part and parcel of training. And I thought, ah, oh, it's just this little bit of soreness. And I'm thinking delayed muscle, uh, delayed onset muscle soreness. So normal part and parcel of B uh, cardiovascular training, uh, 
resisted training doing in the gym. I thought, oh, I'm just pushing myself outside the binder, so this is normal. And I'm thinking, I've gone far beyond what we talked about with the breaking point and, and, and kind of got to that stage. Uh, and I was out for, and this back to the case of injury, um, and this is leading into a competition. So is it, we talk about, uh, from a mental perspective, I kind of thought, well, obviously as a crew, we're not going to be going because I'm injured. Uh, do we train do we train after the fact? I think we stayed out there and trained as well. So we would have gone out anyway, but the boat probably wouldn't have competed. But in the space of getting that injury and going, it might have been two weeks. I, okay, was obviously not allowed to train for a week, which was weird. It was nice on the one hand because I got to be a little bit more relaxed. But on the other hand, it's kind of, well, I'm losing days here of getting better. So it's kind of a catch catch twenty two from an athlete mindset. You kind of well, the rest is going to do you good, but you always have that drive to better yourself. And I'm I'm kind of itching to and clawing to get, but I want to get back. I want to, I'm losing time over everybody else, uh, and they were quite surprised in the actual quickness in my recovery because we were talking about uh, at the time. Uh, MRI scan, um, cortisone injection, just to get through, obviously, the pain barrier to be able to compete. And mine healed naturally. So I was like, in the positive side and uh, and actually looking at it from a good perspective, I'm quite happy I didn't have to cortisone injection because you all hear these bad stories of once you've had it done, you get that numbness towards pain and you can't fit so I don't. I have that luxury to certain extent. My body healed itself. The the muscle is never going to probably be to its uh, utmost capacity what it was before the injury. Okay, I know that, but to not having to endure something and then have that numbness afterwards is probably a better way of looking at it. And it was kind of okay. My body is very um, quicker recovering when it when the, the steps are put in place so I think when I had that mentality of stepping back and okay just enjoy, enjoying the process I was quite surprised in the in the uh how quick it actually recovered okay I had daily physio which is a luxury of of that realm so that that probably helped all everything was all the procedures in place to get you back into that environment are there whereas now being removed and at a lower level don't necessarily get that that uh, that luxury but I think what I learned along the way is if you do manage these things you're going to put yourself in a better place so be it from uh, being very much uh, proactive as opposed to reactive you very much either delay some of these things or get them to be non-apparent at all Mm-hmm. So after your um, your swimming, what did you go on to next? Was it you went into the volleyball? Or was that no? I went into I went into right, rowing, right. rowing first. So why that change? What was the what was the thing that motivated that? It wasn't necessarily motivation. It was kind of a dialogue behind the scenes uh, with the performance director of disability sport in terms of we don't want to lose you from sport altogether 
what's the next course of um or sport should i say that you could possibly excel at because you never you never know if you're going to be good at a skill or not yeah. but give you the opportunity to try it and see what happens so that was that would have been the christmas of 2005 so it would have been my first year at university and we had this dial this discussion and dialogue. Uh, I'd just been dropped from the national program uh, in swimming. So you're thinking, well, I had this illusion. Yeah, I'd be coming back in the, in the new year, mm-hmm. rolling up students. So kind of getting playing the, those things from my mind. Well, what's that going to be like? You came as a as a student athlete. You're coming back as a student. Do you get to enjoy life a little bit more? Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say the phone call was out of the blue, but my mum had, had the discussion uh, with him in the last competition where selection was up up there for it. Obviously, I didn't perform and subsequently was dropped, but that discussion was there in the background. Well, James is having these, these problems with, with swimming. What other avenues could he do to stay within, obviously, sport, which is his passion, his, his love to want to, to want to, achieve, well, I won't say achieving like that's probably too strong, but to want to say, so I got that phone call. So he said, what, what's your thoughts about doing it? So I thought, well, I'm not the quickest at making decisions at the best of time. I'm probably better now than I was back then. I very much deferred the fact. So I was like, well, let me have a talk with my family and talk to them very, very close with and get her sense as what does she think about it? Whether or not should I do it or shouldn't I do it? I think it's passing the buck a little bit. I, should, I think nowadays I'd probably be very annoyed with myself. Come on, just make a decision. It's, it, for rightly or wrongly, you've got to live with it. Uh, what, what have you got to lose? And, and this mindset of what have you got to lose, I think it's very much brought down from probably my mother and my father, maybe a little sense, like my grandmother uh, as well to, to kind of, well, what have you, what, what, by trying something, what have you got to lose? You could be, and I like this quote mom used to me and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. You could be very, very good at it or absolutely useless. So the, the, the and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of use it, that phrase again, that same conversation I had four years the word I want to use uh, in the in, in the in the future when I made the switch the transition from rowing to volleyball that same discussion happened what have you got to lose mm-hmm. so, and I kind of had that mindset well nothing really if I at least give it a shot try it I might hate I might hate it I might even hate the sport okay that wasn't the case but I turned out to be quite a natural at it and I don't know where that came from because I'd never picked up uh, a rowing blade in my life before that time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that, that I mean that key kind of mindset that it's like what have you got to lose which is something that um, uh, you know I've said to my daughter as well and things like that and people in my life it's like well, you have nothing the only thing you've got to lose is is the fact that you um, you didn't actually try it I mean this you just got to go and, and, and see what happens because you just don't know whether that thing's going to be your thing. 
Um, so many people kind of looking for purpose in their life and they're like, they think it's going to come and find them somehow, or they're going to, it's going to be, oh, look, it's this magical unicorn moment where suddenly it, it, it appears in front of them. They're like, oh, there's my purpose. But it's about just going out and saying, right, let's just try this new thing. I, I'm going to try, uh, I'm going to try rowing, see what I'm like. Oh, yeah, I'm really good at this. Um, and it, it's always been like that. I think you have to go out and try a new thing and, that might be the thing that you, you find yourself excelling at, um, or it might be something completely different. But if you don't go and try it, you'll, you'll never have that, that experience and knowledge of, of knowing it. And so what was rowing like then? What was the, you know, going from swimming to, to rowing, what, what, were the, what was the differences between those two environments and sports? That, you, know, what did you, you, know, you said you found it easy, but there must have been like a, a transition time, a point that you had to sort of overcome some, some challenges in that. Well, you asked a, a very poignant question, Edgar. I think the, the actual transition itself, I say it's easy. Um, in no uncertain terms was it that, because it was going from an environment of going from swimming, which was very much development, where you have a time to necessarily go about it being in a slow and steady progression. You're not expected to deliver straight away okay, there is those outliers and some that do and go on to higher exploits and go straight into and go in from performance from that perspective. But you have that time to not necessarily enjoy the process, but you have that time to refine, reflect and go again. Whereas I think that shift to going into rowing, now I'm in the performance environment. Now I have to deliver. It's There's no time to... Uh, practice, not necessarily practice my craft, but you, you haven't got time to craft it, something. You have to kind of do some of those things on the fly. You have to find a, a, a way of winning no matter what. So the pressure is probably a little bit insurmountable, a little bit higher. But I think the what spurred me on to, to want to get there in the first place was initial trial I had with the with the national team and they kind of said oh you're good we see a future for you and this was only on the indoor rowing machine so uh, it, it doesn't carry from a from a rower's perspective it doesn't carry any weight whatsoever once yeah. I got into the got into the sport itself I kind of after that initial first season it's like well psh, okay I'll do my best to stay within the top three and that will be enough. That will be enough. Okay, it's very um, negative way to look at it. Whereas you would say, from a competitive person, wouldn't you want to win everything? But I was like, well, from a weight ratio, I'm going to struggle there because you can chuck your weight around on one of those machines. So I'm at a disadvantage being slightly lighter. But to have to kind of go back to my point with them saying, well, you're good. Don't worry about it because with rowing the world championships every year. I was like, no, 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 I'm going to that world championships. And that was kind of the initial motivator for me. It was an internal one. It's like, okay, it's an external motivator from it being a a world championships. And I'd never had the opportunity to uh, per se represent my country on what was the highest, it would have been the highest at that time. It's like, well, no, I'm going to achieve that. And it was set out my store. Well, how am I going to get get there to be able to make that 
that fruition come into reality and thus it happened but there was little stumbling blocks along the on the along the way before I got there so but it it, it was very much a, um, a good motivator to get to get the ball rolling but I think because they'd said that from the outset you've got a a motivation and kind of a chip on your shoulders like wow you don't think I can get there mm. I'm going to at least damn well try yeah. and if it doesn't come to, to fruition it's going to be difficult but I think maybe of that might that back then in my early what I mean early 20s mm. I still had this mindset of deferring it'd be well if I don't make it it's somebody else's fault so it's I didn't I wasn't as fully recognizing of, of the fact. I think I am more so because it did arise a couple of weeks ago in, in a basketball game that that ideology of well, if I don't play and things like from a team perspective, well, I had no bearing on the outcome. But I think that's a defeatist attitude because. You've got to train with those individuals. You've got to warm up with those individuals. So to a certain extent, you're still a part of the team. Okay, you didn't play in the match. Yes, you didn't have a bearing on the outcome, but you have a bearing on the outcome with the warm-up and training to make everybody better. So to for you to de- dispel this notion of it's an us and them mentality is very much a good one because it's like, well, you can't pick and choose your battles. Mm-hmm. You can't pick and choose the same. It is a family because you're going to war with somebody else. So you are very much a collective of individuals. So that notion of casting, passing the buck, it's like, well, well, it's a victim mentality because it's like, mm-hmm. well, what did you do? What did, what are the things that you didn't do particularly well to to be at your optimum? So I, I think it gives me a chance to reflect at probably bad times in my career. It's like, well, you've deflected your own um, difficulties or where you you not particularly performed at your optimum day in day out. You're just saying, well. Oh, it's the other person's fault. It's the coach's fault. It's the other person in the crew's fault as to why the the boat's not been optimum. Whereas if you took a step back and say, "Well, did I do this right? Did I do this right?" Okay, it's after the fact, and it's very much looking in a sense of regret, but it's looking at it from a positive perspective as how can I grow as an individual mm-hmm. to be well in a sense a better person because you're not you're not looking at the frailties or the negative stuff that's going on, you're looking at it from a positive perspective as to why, how can I get better as opposed to looking at, well, I've done everything in my power. It must be somebody else's fault. It's like, well, have you really then? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very much that kind of um, having that outside in approach to life, isn't it? Is um, sorry, that inside out approach to life that, that I can blame my outside circumstances for for how I feel and who I am, but a lot of it's actually coming from the inside. In fact, all of it's, it's the only way it works is we have this experience that's generated on the inside and the outside, not, not on the outside. And we can 
do that. And I think we all do it in our, we all forget sometimes that that's the illusion that sometimes we're like, oh yeah, it's those people up there that are causing my, 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 you know, my life to be bad or because of these circumstances that's causing my life to be bad. But I mean, people do have a lot of life circumstances that, that are unfair, unjust and terrible. I mean, your own life circumstances as well. I mean, people, you could, people look at that and say, well, you know, and you could look at it and say, well, this is completely unfair and why should it be like this? And the whole of society is set up to, for, for able-bodied people. And I'm, you know, you're like fighting this, this, re this, this reality that's not been put in place for you. And, and that can give you a, a kind of a victim mindset. But, um, I think, think what I hear there is that, that that's not what, you know, when you go to that place, you very quickly get out of it and say, no, this, you know, I need to take full responsibility for, for where I am and who I am in my life. Well, I think it's it, on the, on the other hand, Gary, I think it's having this, instead of having this victim mentality, I had one was probably taught to me mm -hmm. as well. You, you know, no difference. Yeah. I'm, you're not going to be put, put in cotton wool. Yeah, we're gonna kind of throw you to throw throw you to the wolves, so to speak, or throw you in the deep end. You're either gonna sink or swim, but you're gonna kind of kind of come up with this uh, illusion of being adaptable to the environment, mm -hmm. and you come up with solutions to problems when they arise. So it'd yeah. be however big, however big, or however small, you will come up with a solution. Okay, maybe as I've become an adult, I've been less inclined to do that, but I think. Once I've rediscovered that uh, inner belief system to, well, okay, there's nothing wrong with being like a kid and, and wanting to experiment and uh, trying to find something that's going to work for you, mm -hmm. you could then thus be able to say, well, I've tried this. It worked for me. It might not work for you, mm -hmm. but at least give it a shot mm -hmm. and have that, that um, notion of, uh, and I like this one, I think it was... Uh, LinkedIn I saw it yesterday from the BBC prepare develop adapt and having that notion of you do those probably three things on a small scale you do that over bit by bit that's going to have my, my magnificent ramifications as to what you're able to do okay preparation is very much key uh, I think it's a difficult one to do because at times, you um, life's going to get in the way. I think, I think me for an athlete, it was not a difficult one because I think because it's that all that kind of preparation is done for you. Whereas I think I'm less inclined to do that now. But I'm very much off the cuff anyway. But I think that notion of saying oh you can't prepare it's like well that's not true you 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 it was part and parcel of your life day and out of sport it's just pre-dead predisposed as you have to be here in a certain times uh from a from a well, I could say school perspective it would be the same more work you have to be here at the, between these hours to do your workload so you develop within that, you get better at it, but it's having that notion of adaptability because everything is not going to be perfect. So you have to be uh, responsive to the fact of that and act accordingly. So you're going to have to, um, well, 
life is life is like a race. It's you've got to be adaptable to it. Something's gonna uh, come out of left center field that you're not expecting. That's how it is. Day in day out, that's gonna happen. Is how you how you react to that actual initial thought process is how is how how you're gonna actually get on with it as a more as opposed to the instances actually arising. Yeah, I think what you you described there as well, which I heard, was just this that that resilience is about that. Is resilience is about engaging with life head on and taking responsibility for your reaction to it or your response to it as well, and understanding that you are going to have these times where things are not going to go well for you and. I kind of believe we have this innate ability to have a resilience anyway. I think we're, we're resilient individuals as a, as a species that, that because life is complex and chaotic and messy, that we're designed to be resilient. If we just allow ourselves to be resilient, if we, you know, let the system do what it needs to do. Uh, and you've talked about a few times in the, uh, in already about the ability just to have the thought and then let it go. And that if we allow the mind to have the thought and let it go, it just self-clears itself. It's, it's uh, you know, also with repairing in injury, if you just let the body do what it needs to do and rest and take the time and support it, it will repair itself. There's, it has, a, has a, an ability to do that. And I think it's the same with mental health and resilience is that, that a lot of it is just innate, that we have this ability and sometimes we get in we get in our own way by not just allowing ourselves to go through whatever we need to go through and feel whatever we need to feel and um, come out the other side of it. And, and I think resilience is something that's, that's inbuilt to us, but we also have to be exposed to, to things that to make us resilient, like, you know, well, you're gonna sink or swim, just throw you in at the deep end and, uh, and, uh, and see how it goes. And, you know, you'll come out of it a different person, um, no matter what happens. And that's what resilience is about. The question that came up to me while I was talking there was, um, you talk, we talked a lot about sort of the dedication of sports people and, uh, and the drive and the motivation you have. And, but so what makes the difference then at, when you're competing at that high level, what is making the difference between the you know, first, second, third, fourth places then? Because everybody's all got this mentality, the same as you. They're, they're all driven. They're all going for the, this goal. So when you're at that top 1%, what makes the difference between the 1%? I think that's a, mate, that's a great question, Gary. But I, think, I think the physical attributes are all the same. That, 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 that's no question about that. I think you talk about the mindset. I think the difference between first, second, and third, and the rest, it's definitely a mindset thing. It's a, it's a mental approach to how they're going to go about it. And it's, it's, oh, it's probably a willingness. There's a no fear. Um, you talk about probably to a certain extent, redlining. So they're going to go... Beyond, well, to the point of near exhaustion, collapse, uh, passing out, and they're going to try and go push through that. So when you hear of athletes collapsing after the fact, that, after a race, well, they've gone beyond this illusion of the fact that normal individuals, you know, you have those alarm bells ringing, it's like, 
it's the brain telling you, oh no, we don't like what you're doing to yourself. Oh no, we need to shut everything down. This this isn't safe. Whereas I think the athletes you talk about, obviously the one that wins, mm-hmm. uh, the ones that are going to medal, they've got that innate belief as, well, I don't think this is um, my, my norm. I'm going to push through that and see uh, where it takes me. I'm going to, get to the um what's the word i want to use uh, get to the circumstances of the fact when they arise we'll get to those when they, when they when they when we have to deal with them after the fact that it's not we're not going to deal with them now in the moment we'll do we'll do with the aftermath when it comes so be it collapse that they're not thinking about that at the time they're not thinking of the actual outcome should i say mm-hmm. of their of their decision making of to push it through that red line whereas i think maybe athletes and myself uh, included that are on the, the periphery are, are less inclined to, to want to do that i can't i i i i'm not saying i i wasn't able to do that i just had a mental block when it came to um the competitive environment i certainly it's probably to a certain extent we talk about that flight fight or flight response i probably had that third one i probably froze i i couldn't deal with the nervousness and energy that that's surrounding me which is if i'd probably been where i'm at now as a coach and say well the excitement all nervous the, the physical response is the same and actually flipped the flipped the switch and looked at the other side of the coin and said oh you are you're feeling like this because you're pumped up and ready to go you're excited for the fact that you're going to do that would the outcome be different i would like to say yes because if you're in a you're in a positive frame of mind you're obviously going to be more relaxed. So you, you're going to be in that sense of uh, content and treat it as a, as a, a training um, environment. So we would have, we would replicate the, the, those scenarios in training. Mm-hmm. But if I actually re- replicated that feeling in a competitive environment, okay, I'm not saying I would, I would have been more successful because that's, that's um, what's the word I want to use uh, an alternative reality or we're looking at it from a different perspective. It's like, well, I can't change the past. I've got to accept those are the decisions I made. Those are the, the um, inexperiences that I've been able to learn from and be able to give to other athletes. Well, this is, this is part and parcel, I think, because psych- psychology has been accepted as more uh, parallel to be it physiology, mm-hmm. uh, biomechanics, and all that things that sports are utilized. I think people have become more accepting. Well, okay, if I want to uh, become better at my craft, how can I mentally become stronger? Whereas, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to treating the brain as this being that's higher or not as important as the rest of the body and just treat it like a muscle. Well, you can, you can make something better if you work at it. So I think if I would have had the nows 
o the savviness what I do now probably would have been a better athlete but that was very much the, the mindset back in the day what we're talking about almost 10 years ago you went to a psychologist when you were something wrong with you so yeah. it's it's that illusion that well you're only seeing somebody like that what's the purpose of this of this individual at a uh, at a major championships you, you never saw an athlete go to them so you're thinking well the athletes must be content but but you're thinking well British Cycling were at the forefront of this. They were going to tap in another resource to make their athletes one percent better. So that that notion of that's where it comes from. Maybe I should have been a little bit more uh, adaptable and less inclined to put myself within a box and be very much that individual. When I was younger, well, let, let's try something that's that's outside to the normal remits of of uh, what is perceived as what you knew you do normally day in day out or what let's try and do something different like an outlier so okay it's after the fact but that's the difference Gary I think between somebody that comes first second third and obviously people that that come to the periphery like myself it's it's that willingness to do everything in their power to win and we'll 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 come we'll come to the the ramifications of those decisions at the later date and okay it's 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 this is probably where the the act of um lunacy comes in with from the outside perspective people that don't do it thinking well why would you do that to yourself and put yourself in uh, a dangerous perspective physically just to win but I guess it's it's that it's a fine line between what is obsession dedication passion and outright lunacy it's 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 it comes out to that that in a, in a sense all four of them are exactly the same thing it's just some one's perception towards it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no it's uh, well yeah it's interesting that the that what what they're doing and I think also what you're doing in that moment anyway is sport because is that ability to just completely transcend your your sense of self or what your kind of lower mind is saying and just really tap into something bigger than you are in that moment to say right I don't care about what what's going to happen because it really is about this moment right now if there's any uh, a definition of being in the moment that would be it wouldn't it it's that that we are where we are right now and we're not thinking about anything other than this, not even like a millisecond ahead. It's like, I'm here and I'm going to keep going down this path and completely transcend um, your, your kind of ego and your mind at that point and go beyond it. Well, it's primate, probably a little bit of a primal instinct because mm-hmm. you're, you're in this sense of, how would I describe it? Cause I've done it in training. It's kind of a state of euphoria, fog, just nothing, per se that you're thinking about because you're just trying to mentally as best as you can stay technically as as efficient as you can at this kind of um oh physiological physiological state that you're in be it pushing pushing the envelope out so it's it's very much it's not pleasant when you finish but 
it's like, well, okay, I was able to test test my body to the extremes. I've not died. Uh, I feel feel awful. Okay, there's going to be times where you're going to be sick. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. You might. You, I have a, not blacked out. I've been pretty close, but I think it's only the it's only a natural response your body's shutting down because it feels itself as in danger so it's that primal state of you probably going back to early man to a certain extent if that makes sense and you you, you kind of doing everything to survive so it's like well yeah it's that it's that predisposed ide- ideology it's that's that's where probably where you get to it's like well i want to win what do I do? Do I fight or do I run? So I think it's 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 that that one. You're kind of gonna push your body until it does give you that sense of uh, flight mentality because it, it it just has nothing to give. It's completely spent. Mm-hmm. So I think you, you try and go as far from an athlete perspective. You're gonna fight until the body lets you down, and and obviously you train for that day in day out for to, to strive for that to be further and further away so when it comes time time to actually utilize it you've been there before mm, yeah so it must be um like you said that moment where you actually get to that point um must be something that you know that that euphoria in that fog um it must also be really peaceful mustn't it it must be at the same time is it is it peaceful or what what is it like when you get to that that pinnacle of you know completely I'm I'm probably at the point of this exhaustion I've got I've got to the to that end point. I don't know really, Gary. I think it's I think because it's you're not thinking about anything. You you're in that moment in time. I think it's no. You probably have a, a memory from before the fact and after the fact, but that particular moment in time is probably gone because it's, you, gone, you, yeah. it, it's, it's because you live, you live in it. And I guess because you are in a, a set, no case in point, actually taking yourself to those extremes, the body's probably doing something else. So it's yeah. the last thing it probably wants to do is to, to, to take mental imagery of it so you can replicate it. But I think you've got a, you've got that uh, memory set in stone of as well. I know what it feels like leading up to it. So be the start of the race when it's going to get difficult and when it really gets tired and you know what it feels like when you're finished so I guess you 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 take a, a stance as well. Am I going to do it again, or am I not going to do it? So you take it's it's. I guess you put yourself in a fork in a row. Which way you're going to go? Are you going to go left or right and kind of deviate from it, or are you going to have this notion of going head first mentality, uh, a bull to, a bull in the China shop mentality kind of thing well you're going to do it again well I think most athletes are that way inclined it's like well is it going to is it going to make me win not necessarily but that notion probably doesn't come into your mind it's like well everybody else is doing it 
got to join the club. So it's, it's kind of that mentality. Well, it's whoever survives the longest from that that perspective because it's a simple. It's 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 not it's nothing difficult about it. It's just that willingness to stay in that red line as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And whoever manages to do that the, the longest, obviously from a um, an aerobic standpoint, is going to win. Uh, be it. Um, and it's the same in anaerobic sports uh, and any any sport under the sun. It's, it's, it's whoever is able to encapsulate that uh, and be able to stay in their uncontrollable states, their uncomfortable state for the longest. And that's the difference. It's, 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 it comes down to the, that notion um Generally, when people want to change, they don't like to hear that. It's like, well, you want to be, you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. It's not, we're not, we're, as coaches, we're not saying it's going to be easy because it's yeah. not. Generally, things that are easy are the hardest. But I think as an athlete, because you have that willingness to accept that anyway, I know it's going to be difficult. If it were, if it wasn't difficult, everybody would be doing it. So, uh, and it kind of takes his prestige away. So it's that notion. Well, I think because we have it, that mentality, I say me more specifically of it's got to be done anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's part and parcel. It's kind of, it, 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 it's, it, it's meant to hurt to a certain extent. So I got to just go and uh, well, accept that and just do it. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's nice. So, what's the future hold for you um, yeah, now? Well, I mean, where are you now? Because you're you're doing a lot more coaching uh, yourself, aren't you? What, what is the what is the day to day like now for James? It's 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 when I when I do have coaching calls or actually coaching people, and it's getting people to change that actual ideology of the way they think. It be depend on the, I won't say 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 severity, but depending on where they're at or their actual inner beliefs, mm-hmm. it's getting them to challenge that. So be it oh, the athlete one is, is very easy because as you just get them to flip the switch to a certain extent and say, well, okay, do you really believe what you're telling yourself? Or, okay, it's going to be harder. And a lot of things it will be just, I don't necessarily have to speak to it, be typing something yeah. and, and get them to say, well, do you look at it from this perspective? Do you see where I'm coming from now? Can you see what how destructive that actual uh, thought process is? Be it, I think I did a vo- voice note um, a few months ago as to why somebody wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But will you get round to do it? Is it because you're fearful of what somebody might perceive of it? Are you uh, and get, getting to to say well? By you saying you can't do it is de- not defeatist, but it is very much instilling uh, a consensus and a thought process of negativity straight away because you believe that you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Me putting it down on paper, so to speak, being in written format, can you see what I'm saying from that perspective in terms of you, by you just saying it, Little by little, you are starting to believe that that's the case. And okay, I, I did. I was very much the same. Once I okay, I didn't have to write it down, but I did it as a 
visual format. So I, I wrote down my inner beliefs as to what, why I was in a bad position. Gosh, it would be four months ago. Mm-hmm. And what were the factors towards that that happened to me in the past as to how those had arisen. And I did it as a video. And I actually thought, well, I don't believe that to be that. That's the reason why. But do I believe that I'm not very good at X, Y, and Z because of what somebody said? Okay, it had a big impact as to why I didn't do it. But that is putting predisposed ideas into my head that somebody else think about it. Do I agree with them when I did the video? No. Do I agree with them now? No. Do I now do that the uh, the stuff that I said I would implement? Yes. Do I care what people think about it? To a certain extent, yes, because you want to be delivering value, but do I care how I come across as it being very good or could be better? If it's positive criticism, yes, I'll take that on board, but if, it, if it's not going anywhere... And it's if it's like I banter, I don't really care because I can play. I go with that. Uh, but if it's criticism that's not unjust or anything, I kind of so yeah, I don't give. I don't care. That's yeah. your opinion. Uh, I could care less if it's not going to make anything make me produce it any better. It's pointless. But generally, I, I think from that that perspective because you encapsulate yourself within the five, the people that you associate with the most, most people are positive. So it's, I think most of the ones that are negative, I've either got rid of on social media or because you start to do stuff they don't like, yeah, they'll soon go themselves. So I think that, that notion of that's where I'm at. So it's just, just getting people to question those inner beliefs that they have. Okay. It might be predisposed from, somebody else or because they've told themselves repeatedly over a number of years it's become then their new norm so it's going to take time to come out of that but just to get them to look at it from a multitude of factors be it nutrition uh training and also the mindset it's going to take time so it being in it for the long road as opposed to this ideology of in it for the you know the, the quick fix it's nothing is gonna be gonna completely cure you if you put in the only the, the, the short yeah you need to put in the hard yards to get the best results so it, it, it's very much that's where i'm at with the coaching so it's just getting people to obviously if we can get the the the, the mind right everything else will come okay the nutrition one isn't easy as well but it's that simplicity of it if I can get you to tweak certain things uh, to be balanced and get you to change your perception of it and we talk, I talked about that from a mindset perspective I think it all stems to the, the mental approach it's that perception what people have towards things it's it's either what they've been taught or they've been misinformed as opposed to being uneducated. It's they've been let down in the past by other individuals and probably more so advertisement to say, well, you need to have this and these quick fixes like, well, no, you don't, you don't necessarily have to have a commodity. It's not going to make your life any better. It's just that you're being sold this 
ideology of you need to be completed. Whereas if you're in a peace with yourself and you, you, you love yourself, you, you, you don't really care what others think. Okay, family, family, that's probably the difficult one, but you have to live with them. Whereas other people you can get rid of, you can get rid of. It's like, well, if you don't like me, okay, that that's life. You can't, it's, it's getting to the stage that you need to get away from this notion of trying to ascertain perfection and, and very much they do tie in from doing my own research and reading with that notion of um, was it perfectionism and oh that's my train of thought then what's the other one um, people pleasing I got it come back to me once you can disassociate from that and that's where I'm at most because when does it, somebody does, does it they do say well I struggle with this and this it's like well if you've got this you probably have that as well not necessarily but it, it gets into the point well you can't please everybody because that would be impossible and you probably would hate it because it's a constant it, life is very much uh, revolves around that inconsistency you, you like to have that little bit of, uh, of uh, ex- well, this is actually when it actually does people would do like that excitement you like the the fear of the unknown from a certain extent because you like you don't like things to be um what's the word i want to use um the, you you don't want to know the outcome because that that makes things dull and so, mm-hmm. so so that having that inconsistent not inconsistent is probably the wrong word but having that uncontrollable state i think we get a kick out of it as human beings because it's like well what 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 is going to arise in terms of a multitude of uh, arrays that could happen? So I think it's that fluxing between the two. You 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 like to be in control on the one hand, but if we had control completely over every facet of our lives, it'd be very much dull. Yeah, I like the way you put it there. Was that that actually we we. We like the uncertainty. We can get a kick out of it as well. Because I'd, I'd never have thought of it that way before. Because I'm very much a believer of, you know, you have to get comfortable with uncertainty and you have to be in a peace within yourself before you can start to, um, to you know, from that inner peace, then you can start to grow um, a, a lot quicker and easier. And, and growth becomes easy. It becomes more about evolution rather than growth. Um, and myself, my own kind of transitions through my life, I'm very much now in, the, in a space of understanding that, that um, it's sometimes our drive to to get better that um, uh, that holds that that kind of can hold us back because we put so much pressure on ourselves to develop. But if we let go of it a little bit more and just allow ourselves to to evolve, we we probably make a lot more um, progress. And it's that just like letting go of control over it and and um, just engaging with the process, doing it every day um, and doing that habit every day and stepping into that uncertainty um, because yeah, we like it. It's, it's, it's interesting to keep it uncertain. It's interesting just to see where it will go sometimes just to go, wow, look at this. Life is unfolding. and I really don't have any control about where it's going to go or what it's going to do. So I can really 
um, get on board with that. It's like a roller coaster ride a little bit because you just don't know what's going to happen next. So let's just get on board with it and see where it will go. Because um, uh, the next thing that comes up could be completely amazing. And uh, just got to go and, and go with it rather than fight it so much. Well, I think that's very true, Gary, because in terms of oh, you might have this predisposed idea, well, I want to go off on this avenue and people will say to you, well, is it going to grow? We'll talk of it from a business perspective now. Is it going to grow your business? Mm -hmm. But then you're thinking of if it's, it's going to give you that sense of what I talked about earlier with the, the obsession, dedication, and passion. Well, if it's still that yeah. because business is very repetitive monotonous and quite bored quite boring when when you get to the nitty and gritty of it because it's it's repeats uh oh what's the word i want to use it's a bit like a washing machine it's rinse repeat and go again so it's 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 you're recycling it so it's if you don't have that excitement factor to want to do it it's going to become monotonous and tedious and and, and bored you're going to lose heart and that's only natural because it's, it's like well but then it's trying to maybe on the flip side look at it in a different light because okay it, it it's trying to invigorate yourself so i think i will i'll struggle at times to to to, to, to motivate myself for it and it, it's it's only human nature to 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 lose motivation you can't lack it so it's probably redefining how you see them and giving yourself those you know interim goals short term medium uh, not necessarily trying to hit that bullseye hit that target straight away for that long term goal build upon it and and trying to not necessarily help as many people as you can is looking at more from um a simplistic way of probably serving people and then you debate the matter if you're religious spiritual any or any way you look at that if you're able to give a helping hand to another person it's not necessarily helping somebody it's giving them a hand up for them when they're ready to want to improve themselves so that's not it could be i don't know we talk about it from a from um coaching perspective it could be podcast it could be written content uh it could be a, a speech um a workshop it could be any 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 number of those things as to how that will connect with an individual yeah. but that is very much um oh what's the word not the, on the grapevine but it, it the oh i can't think of the word the the, the for it evergreen of, of, of yeah, something yeah. it is the impact it can have over a longer period of time and you have no actual conscious um outlook on that you you think it's going to have make an impact there and then but over the over the longer period you you don't know what impact that is going to have on an individual when they come time to, for them, they've actually, they found their, 
their why and their purpose to to want to change. Uh, there'll be a lot of things that the underlying ones of I want to change the aesthetical appearance of something, but it's like, well, is is that what you really want, or is that what you've told yourself or been not misled to believe, but because what society is to telling you that is what you need to look like from a appealing perspective, be it to be loved, uh, to be admired and to be looked up, looked up upon, or is it something deeper than that? So I think once we get people to actually open up and be vulnerable, which I think when the coach can do that themselves, yeah, I think there's that, that greater, um, connection and grad, grad, gravitational pull towards that individual okay some people might not like you but that's 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 how it is mm-hmm. because they don't like you as um oh sorry i won't say they don't like you they don't <clears throat> radiate with how you come across for them they don't they can't necessarily at that particular point in time think that's what work with them so i think yeah. when you're less you are more inclined to take that step back and say, okay, I'll give you the tools to, to be able to implement it for free. If you actually looked at it and I've given you all the steps, if you actually implemented it and some people have come back to me and say, I've implemented what you said, just from what I've been speaking to you and what you've put out, I'll be able to change things. So it does, it did, it, it does, give you a sense as as a coach that does give you gratification I know I know we we say money is not does not doesn't make the world it does help but I think once you do gravitate yourself away from that and think well I'm helping people people from a from a simplistic way by just giving value well, that's that's invaluable because that's technically a testimonial it's like well i've done i've implemented this just yeah. by speaking to him i didn't necessarily have the income to be able to invest mm-hmm. but i had the inclination to want to change and i did something about it so i i, I can't uh, object to for an individual for doing that because they have on the one hand change their life for the better so it's it's that notion of um paying it forward so they they might from from my changing their their educational standpoint on things they help a multitude of people well i'm technically at the top of the pyramid and i'm able to have facilitated that i'm not going to take all all credit for the people that come thereafter because i can't because i probably wouldn't know who those people are this but i think the simplest term for that gary is that notion of actually um being kind in itself it kind of goes tenfold if i give you a, a be well the simple one probably let you go in the traffic well it kind of gives you that sense of kindness so, so, so later down the line they'll probably you'll probably help somebody else and you've helped a number i think what it is uh i think the notion is 
ahead with I can't remember how you say it, but ahead with five, you've actually helped five five people down the line. It might be more, mm-hmm. but that's only for one act of kindness that you, what we do take for granted because we we're, we're very much in a state of flux now. And we want everything now, now, now. So we're we're in a rush to get everywhere. So we kind of lose that sense of well what we're built upon as people to actually help each other and we're to a certain extent out for for ourselves but if we only take that step back to actually read read this rekindle those in a in a in a beliefs that we have as children i'm not saying everybody's like that because there are some <laughs> nasty nasty kids around that uh, kind of want to attack malicious and uh, quite. I was probably a little bit like that at times, but because you get a kick out of it. But I think if you are give an act of kindness, it, it does give you a sense of uh, a gl- warm glow, a warm feeling because you've 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 done something uh, out of the kindness of your heart. You're not looking for anything in return. So I think if we can get back to that way of thinking the world would be a better place will we ever get there i don't know that's the problem with that's the pros and cons of technology it's on the one hand it's a positive but on the other hand it manipulate it manipulates people so it, it until people be able to stay, take a step back and say well there this is a vehicle for good but I need to wean myself off it from time to time because it's very destructive. Mm. Nice. So, well, that's all we've been talking for a while now. And uh, so we had a nice wide range of discussion. So a couple of questions I like to ask people uh, uh, is what's the, what's the biggest mistake that you've learned from? Oof, that's a difficult one. Uh, my biggest mistake that I've learned from I'd say probably more recently it is, yeah. it's probably that one with the one I had the mental health issue, like I, I talked about earlier in the episode is to not have this ideology that you are in it for not necessarily yourself, but you are alone when you're facing this circumstance. You're not going to be the only person in the world that's facing uh, an issue with mental health, uh, a low point in your life, self-doubt, uh, and the spectrum is so broad. But if you encapsulated it, probably all in proper mental health. I think they probably should. And then you, you put anxiety and depression at the extreme end of it. I think we'd be in, in a better place because if we are very much at ease with talking about it and not stigmatizing it because it is seen as an individual is weak, um, they're not inclined to put aside their pride and their ego and kind of be accepting of, well, it's okay to be uh, having these feelings because it's only natural. Uh, okay, self-doubt and things like that, it, it depends on, on what capacity because it's going to happen to any, anybody 
at any particular time as to why it arises because you have that predisposed idea that it's either been drummed into you that you're not good enough you're 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 not worthy of a certain thing well it's like well that's only that's gonna take its toll on you whereas if it's this notion of you've put it there yourself it's going to take time to be able to question that but like we were talking about with with the brain being a muscle well you can learn to start to challenge these things mm-hmm. and say well if if you don't believe it it's obviously not true yeah. and that's the, the the greatest one you you can have okay the anxiety and depression i think is more difficult but it's not hiding away from it and it's something you 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 talked about on my show it's it's that notion well you can't hide away from it you can't confront it you can't look to sidestep or anything like that you need to come and and, and accept it as your new norm yeah. and once you're able to do that i think you're in a better place to move forward because it's not this notion of adaptation that we've talked about today on your episode it's kind of having that evolutionary state of well how can i evolve and learn from this and be able to be a better person so i think once you come to accept it which is more difficult at times than others but i think it does it does actually get a little bit the 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 weight is somewhat lifted off your shoulders and you do kind of relax a little bit okay it's it's not all doom and gloom it's not ever 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 uh, ever encompassing it's not going to control me i'm going to control it to a certain extent uh and just roll with it it's mm-hmm. that notion of the uh and being comfortable in, the, in a, being comfortable in an uncomfortable state well that's how we are as human beings we are at a arousal state of anxiety mm-hmm. it just depends on what it, it, it magnitude that is it be if it was too low we would never get anything done if yeah. too high we would be in- <laughs> Yeah. So it's that it's that flux. So it's I think it's it's very much being accepting of that. It's being in the flux, and we're okay with that. So I think it's it's, it's on the spectrum with that entirety, and that's where I'm at now. It's not it's not feeling guilty when you've done something particularly porous. It's looking at the fact as well take a step back did I maybe I could have done with the rest and and not vilifying yourself when you've done something what society says is not not the norm so it it comes down to those simple simple things I think I've learned from it no it's nice it's nice to hear as well that that's been the learning but also what I I hear in that is this um the, the definite bit of of ex- the accepting of, of where I am right now. And it's from that acceptance that suddenly that I have all this choice and creativity that, that if I'm constantly in a battle of fighting where I am, so if I'm having, if I'm depressed or I'm having a mental, um, my mental health is poor at the moment, or even though I'm just having an off day, it's just going, oh, okay, well, I'm having an off day. Um, and I can try to fight with that. I can 
um, try to, to change it. Um, and my past has been changing it with drugs or alcohol or things like that. So it's like, well, I can go to that to try and change my state. But the, the quicker I kind of just understand, well, it's just my thinking in the moment that's, that's causing my state. So when I notice that I can go back to, to being um, quite calm again. And um, once I understand that my thinking in this moment is causing my experience. So I might have some negative thinking or the thinking might be, you know, in a loop or the thinking might be depressive. I'll know it will change in the next few minutes because we're just going to, you know, we say we keep fluxing, we're going up and down all the time. That's the human experience is that we're moving from one state to another, to another state. And if we just allow it to, to happen, then innately we're going to go on to a new state again. Uh, this is like a um, belief that you know, I do have, we have this innate, um, I think we do have innate mental health. Uh, I think it's there. Uh, and I think we, we put loads of stuff on it and layer it and society gives us stuff and our parents give us stuff and our friends give us stuff. And we put all this baggage on it and you said it there, when you accept it, you, it kind of it lifts, it goes off a little bit because you get, you get rid of all that baggage, baggage and accept where you are and then, oh, I can move on and uh, I can get out of it. That's good. So thank you very much for spending the uh, nearly two hours talking. It's been really interesting to talk to you and uh, I've learned quite a lot as well about um, the mindset of an athlete that I didn't know before. Uh, I wonder if it will get me to go to the gym more often, but <laughs> I'm very much into yoga at the moment. got back into doing my yoga, uh, uh, which uh, I find uh, nice and peaceful for me. Um, well, I think it's fruitful learning more, more Gary, I think that's the new what was it what did they term it the, this new oh, I won't necessarily say it's a fad because hit, hit hit was so so to speak a fad and that's still going but there's this one of um, they call it light so low intensity exercise or so yoga Pilates um, Tai Chi one other one and it's very much that's in the in now because yeah. I think people are becoming more t more conscious of obviously anxiety, depression, stress, fear, and and trying to be get a better sense of not acknowledging it, but a better way of dealing with it mm -hmm. than say exercise because it's not exercise not going to work for everybody in terms of what is uh prescribed as i don't know what will work for me will not necessarily work for you or what to work what will work now would not necessarily have worked in the past and vice versa yeah no I, well, yoga for me has been something that I've, I've gone in and out of and i did it quite um uh, a lot a few years ago um, and i've just started getting back into it again um, I like that. Um, but my kind of exercise kind of fluctuates. Um, so I'll have like, I had a big stint of going back to the gym again and having a personal trainer, which was good because it, it got me, especially in my midlife now. I think so much of your health in your old, old age is dictated by your health in your midlife, isn't it? So, um, you know, just got me back to a stage of being healthy again and fit and um, able to um, run around with my stepson and play football with him and not... <laughs> fall over with a heart attack um so that's good so now i've got all my strength you know good functional strength back and the yoga just gives me that flexibility as well which i quite like um and i don't do much kind of aerobic but we'll see where it goes but thank you for spending the time um where can people find you on on your social media and your channels and 
you've got the podcast as well. So uh, on social media, Gary, people can find me at James O Roberts eleven. That is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, uh, and they can find my podcast the mindset athlete on apple Podcasts, which is formerly itunes mm-hmm. uh, spotify uh, stitcher and anywhere that they would listen to podcasts okay great so um thanks for for spending the time and hopefully i'll speak to you soon oh the pleasure has been absolutely mine and i cheers, look forward James. to it thanks a lot cheers bye see ya so thank you for listening um to the podcast um i hope you found it uh interesting um, maybe even inspiring and maybe you've taken some lessons away that you can start to apply f- to your life um, this podcast is a journey for me it's a way for me to explore the things that are interesting for me in in my life are interesting for me to talk about uh, also um, to share the stories of other people overcoming uh, challenges, problems in their life, of, uh, of how they transformed themselves and what transformational moments they've had in their life as well. Um, if you have any feedback for me on the podcast, then please uh, contact me at gb at garybridgman.me. Um, if you uh, like the podcast, um, please share it on your social media channels um, with your friends and family um, and your wider social media following. Uh, this helps get uh, the stories out there. Um, you never know when uh, one story or one idea or one concept or one thought might change somebody's life. So um, you can be a part of that by sharing this podcast. So please share it on like it and uh, on your on your own social media channels. Uh, finally, if you want to find out more about what I do as a coach, as a transformational coach, then please just visit my website at activate-yourlife.com. That's activate-yourlife.com. Uh, again, thank you very much for listening. Until the next episode, bye-bye.